0: morning, Bridge. How we doing? So we fix our eyes on things that are unseen, not seen. Because those things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are unseen are forever. We're in a series, in fact, wrapping up a series today that we've been calling Investing in Forever. And what we've been talking about is this idea that we've got a very short period of time uh, in which to make all of the decisions in life, whether it, it's relationships or time commitments or or finances, whatever they happen to be, uh, and that, that ultimately there's going to be a day when we're going to stand before God and all of the decisions we've made will ultimately define how we live forever. And so we're just being kind of intentional about fixing our eyes on the unseen, because that's what's eternal, as opposed to the seen. And that idea of fix, meaning that there are plenty of distractions and plenty of things that would draw our attention away, we have to be intentional about focusing forward. And, and quite frankly, we've been going for the juggler. We've been going down to the bottom line decision in all of those areas is how do we commit our time and how do we commit our finances, because that ultimately is the sum of our lives with so many other things going on, that, that cuts down to the bottom line. And that's why Paul said, we looked at it last week, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7, since you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and complete earnestness and in the love we've kindled in you, see also that you excel in the gift of giving. And can I just tell you this morning, you do, you excel. I mean, you can put the bridge in any one of those areas and say that that's that's the description of this church. You guys one of the things I love about you and love about being here Kim and I were part of the church family before I became the pastor because we wanted to be here and be a part of this you excel in everything in faith and speech and in love and and in the way you give Miss Valerie mentioned to us uh, during the greeting time this morning that last week was offering Fit for a King. Many of you were here and you had the chance to bring your offering forward. Some of you were not here. You can still do that today. But some of you are, drum roll please, wondering what happened last weekend, last Sunday morning as the first of what's going to wind up being a wave of giving during this period. You guys brought $180,000 to the Lord in an offering last week. Is that just phenomenal? Uh, demonstration of faith, demonstration of generosity that really defines who we are as a church family. I can't wait to see what the totals are because they have talked to so many people today. They said, I couldn't do it last week. Can I do it this week? And so we're looking forward to seeing what God does in the days ahead. But as we wrap this series up, here's what I want to do. Just kind of a devotional thought. I don't want to challenge you in any way today. I've had several people say to me lately, oh, Pastor, I love the way you challenge us. Well, I ain't come to challenge you today. I've come to encourage you, I've come to to lift you up, I've come to show you, quite frankly, some of the benefits of being who you are. I just wanna show you some of the benefits of of being the generous people that you are, and then, in all honesty, I want us to focus our attention this morning on the generosity that is demonstrated in Christ. We're gonna approach the Lord's table in communion this morning. Let me say quickly, you need not be an owner at the bridge, to join us in communion this morning. It's not our table, it is the Lord's table and it is the Lord that invites you. We'll talk a lot more detail when we get to it about, uh, about coming to the Lord's table in communion. But please understand, even if you're a guest for the first time today, you're welcome to join us in the Lord's table when that time comes in the service. And the few minutes be- before we get to that though, I wanted to just take a few minutes and share with you uh, from my experience, from the scriptures, and from, no question, things that I've seen in other people's lives, some of the benefits to being a generous person. Uh, There's so many. uh, There's no way I could cover them all. But I've thought of five that might be worth considering. And, again, I've come to encourage you, not challenge you this morning. So give some thought. As a generous person, these are some of the things that I believe you can expect to have happen in your life. And for many of you, it's already happening in your life. Here we go. You ready to get into it? Number one, when I'm generous, I'm being a little more like the Lord. I'm being a little more like the Lord. James chapter 1, verse 5 from the Revised Standard Version says, God is not about to give you anything, and if he does, it will be done grudgingly. What? Is that not what it says? Oh, that's the revile substandard perversion. That's not the Revised Standard. What does the Revised Standard say? Read it with me. God gives to all generously and ungrudgingly. Our God is a giver. Do you know why? Do you understand why he's a giver? Cuz he loves you so much. And when you love someone, you love to give to them. Is that true? Kim and I've been married almost 43 years now and uh Uh, And I love, from the very earliest days, I love to give to her. I love it when I take her by surprise. I love it when I give her something that she did not expect. And so, you know, in the early days, we were really broke, and so it was cheap stuff, but it was still stuff that she didn't see coming. When we first got married and we started having kids, we were still broke, and so we got to a place where we kind of agreed... We really can't afford to give each other something, so let's just give to the kids, okay? Well, let's just put all the money in in giving to the kids. And so we did, but again, we love each other so much, uh, I cheated. (laughs) You know, I'd still say on Christmas morning, I could not give you something, and so I gave you something, and then I found out. Yeah, I cheated too, and so we decided that we would not we, we would give stuff to each other. But again, trying to be frugal, uh, we decided that we would uh, we'd be practical about it. So we would just agree at Christmas time that we would give each other uh, something that we both wanted and needed, right? And so one year, a few years ago, kid you not, we gave each other a dishwasher for Christmas. Boy. I ain't doing this no more. Not going to happen. I got to have the wow. I got to have the oh, I didn't see that coming. And so Kim, being a very practical person, loved my wife to death, but she's a very practical kind of person, she said, well, then I will give you a list of things that I'd like for you to choose from. Well, you know what happened because I'm going for surprise. Anything she put on the list, I ain't buying none of that because she knows it's coming. And so eventually she got to the place where she'd say, I'm going to give you a list of what I don't want because I know you're not going to buy it. So I just rule some things out because I love that, that thinking about it and pondering it and the challenge of saying, how can I get her to say, wow, and again, we, we're still broke. You know, we, well, it ain't expensive stuff. It's not about how much. It's about this. I love her, and I want her to have something that blesses her. This past year, I pulled it off. Man, I pulled it off. Didn't cost much at all, but I pulled it off. We've got a little uh, a footstool stand thing uh, that uh, that we got soon after we first got married, and I messed it up. I used it for doing some work in the house, I got paint on it, messed it up, and she's used it all these years, and most recently, it it broke, and so she was looking for another one, and she searched the internet, she searched the planet for one like it, and she has not been able to find anything that comes close to equaling it, so this year, while she's in Virginia taking care of the grandkids, I tore it down, broke it down to bare metal, rebuilt the whole thing, repainted, reupholstered the whole deal, and and so when I went to Virginia at Christmas time, and I had it in the back of the truck, I opened up the target of the truck, and she said, I smell paint. (laughs) She just That's that's Kim's nose. And and so I pulled the blanket back, and there it was, just like brand new 40 years ago. And she went, you want to say it or you want me to? Wow. Yes, I did it. Why do I love that so much? Because I love her. And I want her to have, man, if I had the resources, I'd give her everything on the planet. I don't have them. Here's the good news, and I tell you all of that to say this. God loves you more than I love Kim, and there are no limits to his resources. So he has this unlimited supply. Here's what the scriptures say, Matthew chapter 7, verse 11. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good to things to those who ask him, our God is a giver. And so when you give, you're being a little bit more like Him. And of course, the ultimate proof that our God is a giver is John 3, 16. You know that one, right? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. Our God is a giver, and He proves it by giving His only Son because He loved you that Much. When you're being generous with your time, your talents, the treasures that He's blessed you with, you're being a little bit more like Him. And that's what happened last Sunday. And when we brought our offering, Fit for a King, or for those of you that brought it this week, that's what's happening. Did we raise a lot of money? Sure. Are we going to bless thousands of people with that money? Absolutely. But money was not the goal. What was the goal? The goal is that all of us would take one step forward to being a little bit more like Jesus and in the process investing in forever. It just happens that generosity is a huge part of both of those things. The second benefit then, if you're going to be a generous person, is that you will be drawn closer to the Lord, not just come more like him, but you'll actually become closer to the Lord and to his family. That's what happens. Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. Your heart will be wherever your treasure is have have you found that verse to be true? Do you hits like this? If, is, is that true? Yeah. If you if you put some money together and buy a boat, uh, where's your heart? When you're at work, it's on the boat. When <laughs> when you're mowing the grass. It's on the boat. I mean, every free minute you're thinking about the boat. What's the old saying? You buy a boat and then the boat owns you. Is that how that works? I mean, it's just nothing wrong with having a boat, but that's just the reality of it. You, you, when you, when you, once you have one, there it is. There's through your mind. The, the same thing is true if you rake and scrape and, and put enough down payment money to finally buy your first house. Where's your heart? It's in that house. You, you're excited about having a new house, and, and you're excited about fixing it up. and all This is where your heart is. That's just a natural thing where you put your money, your heart's going to follow. If you rake and scrape and sacrifice to put your kids in college, where's your heart? Well, for some of you, it's in your throat because they just flunked out, and you're trying to figure out what am I going to do about that. But anyway, you get my point? Is that it's where we put our treasure, that's where our heart will automatically follow and so when we're generous especially in the house of God it draws us closer to him and and it draws us closer to each other because that's where our heart is in fact a good friend of mine one of my spiritual sons he would say is Pastor Dale Sauls uh, and uh, Dale pastors in Sanford North Carolina he's preached here several times some of you know Pastor Dale he actually put this teaching, this passage, into their new owner's class. And here's how he says it. He says, you love this place. Your heart is in this place. And I know that because you're in the new owner's class. The fact that you're in a new owner's class tells me you want your heart to be here. I can guarantee a way to make sure your heart stays here. Give. Because when you give, your, your heart will follow your treasures. Simply put, generous people get closer to the Lord and ultimately get closer to the family. Ready for number three? We're just talking about benefits. I'm not trying to challenge you to do anything. I just want you to realize the good things that are going to happen when you choose to be a generous person. Number three, the grip of materialism is broken. The grip of materialism is broken. How many of you agree with me? We live in a materialistic society. God bless that hand. I see that hand. God bless that. It's true. We do. We talked some about that during this series You know, the the bumper snicker that says the one with the most toys wins versus the one with the most toys dies. I mean, it's just the way it is. But but we live in a world, quite frankly, that is drawn in to this kind of materialistic, the stuff that I have makes me feel better about my stuff. If I have more stuff, then I must be worth more is kind of the attitude that gets developed. The problem is it's created a debt-based society. Is that true? We live in a debt based society. I did some fresh research this week just to be sure I gave you accurate numbers. And I found out this week that the average American has just over $19,000 in credit card debt, plus $4,600 in retail store credits, excuse me. $19,000 in credit card 4600 in store credit debt, that's almost $24,000 in consumer debt, in many cases with absolutely nothing to show for it. That's the reality of the world that we live in. I read one writer that said the average American today spends $1,300 for every $1,000 that they make. How do you do that? With plastic, with debt. We've become a debt-based Society. Now, here's what the problem is. When you buy stuff, there's an adrenaline rush, an endorphin release that comes from having this new thing, and that becomes A rush, that becomes an addiction. In fact, they got a name for it. They call it shopaholic. Before you know it, you can be drawn into needing that rush, needing that high in order to function. And don't be too hard on them. How many of you, come on, how many of you have gotten the onslaught of Christmas catalogs coming to your house already? You know, they've started at my house, I haven't started at yours, I'm flipping through one last night, just flipping through it, I'm going, oh man, that's cool, oh, that's cool, I, I'm seeing stuff that a day ago I didn't know existed, and now I can't live without it, <laughs> I mean, it's alluring, it draws you in, it's a man, I got to have one of them before you know it, you got the rush, and before you know it, you got to do it, but like any other drug, you start doing it for pleasure, but in time, it's not pleasurable. You have to do it to survive. You're now not free. You're bound. You're in bondage. So what's the antidote to that addiction? 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 through 19. Here we go. Let's read it. Let's break it down. The Apostle Paul's writing to Pastor Timothy. Here's how you need to instruct the church. He says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Let's break that down. Command those who, who is to be commanded to do these things? Hello, are you out there? Who is it? Who's the rich? Is it the 1% we keep hearing about on the news? No. The rich in this context is us. Look at somebody and say, he's talking about us. I mean, look at the at two-thirds of the world, and we are the rich. Go abroad, most any country of the planet, and we are the rich. Uh, when we were in the Philippines, we were there for, uh, throughout the 80s, and uh, Kim's grandparents came to visit us one time, and they were, I guess, late 70s, early 80s when they came out. And we're driving down a little mountain road one day, and, and Papa Luther, some of you knew Mr. Luther beforehand, uh Papa Luther was... Uh, was amazed by a lot of the things that he saw and learned while he was there. But we were driving down a mountain road one day, and he sees on the far mountain across the valley these little Nipah huts and tin huts built on the side of the mountain, and, and obviously no roads to get to them. And he was just amazed by that. And he kept coming. How do you get to those houses? Well, you have to climb the mountain to get to them. Uh, eventually, he said, well, well, how do they, how, where do they park their cars? And I said, well, Papa, they don't have any cars. Well, well, they will one day. No, sir, they never will. They just, no, the odds are those people will never own a car. And he could not wrap his brain around that reality. Guys, let's be honest. Poor people in America have a car or two and a flat screen TV. So when we're talking about the rich, we ain't talking about the one percenters. We're talking about us. And how are we commanded? What does it say? Don't put your faith, your hope in that stuff because it's the seen stuff that's temporary. It's uncertain. Instead, what do you do? Trust God who richly provides for two things. Do you see it? What are the two reasons he provides? Do you see it in there? First of all, I think I highlighted it, for our enjoyment. Is it okay to enjoy your stuff? Somebody say yes quick. Of course it is okay to enjoy your stuff. God didn't bless you with stuff for you to feel embarrassed about it. He wants you to enjoy it. He gave it to you on purpose. You ought to be thankful for it. You ought to be excited about it. You ought to enjoy every minute of it. Get a new car, drive around the car, and smile a lot. It's fine. Enjoy it. God blessed you. Enjoy your stuff. In fact, if you don't find some healthy things to enjoy, you will eventually find yourself being drawn into unhealthy things to enjoy because God created that in us. It's part of our makeup. The Bible says Jesus came enjoying life. Pleasure, put in context, is a good thing. It just needs to be healthy pleasures. And if you don't build healthy pleasures into your life, you'll find yourself drawn into unhealthy ones. So he gave us these blessings for us to enjoy them. And what's the second reason in the passage for us, uh, that why he blessed us? So we'll be generous. He never intended that we consume everything he blesses us with. He intended that we be generous with those people that are around us who are in need. Ultimately, and here's the antidote part I was telling you about, the third part, he tells us the result of this provision, verse 19, that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. If you've ever dealt with anybody, maybe you've been in this position yourself or somebody you know and love's been in this position. If you've ever dealt with anybody who's addicted to any substance, you and I both know that ain't living. That's existing. That's just going through the motions. Living is when you are free to enjoy the blessings that God has given you, and when you do that, he blesses you, and then ultimately you become a generous person. And so out of that, guys, I'm telling you, when I'm generous, not only do I get to be a little bit more like God, not only get drawn to him and his family, but I get the antidote to the the messages that I am bombarded with constantly in this materialistic society. There is an endorphin release You tell me if it's true. There's an endorphin release that comes from helping somebody that you didn't have to help. You just did because you could, and you watched them get blessed from it, and that release doesn't have a hangover, and that release lasts. It's the antidote to materialism. The fourth benefit is that being generous ushers in God's favor in our lives. Being generous ushers in God's favor in our lives. We've talked a little bit during the series about Malachi chapter 3. Maybe you pronounce it Malachi. It looks like Malachi to me. But, you know, it's that passage that says if, if you'll bring the tithe into the storehouse, then I'll open up the windows of heaven. And he says, prove me. Test me in that. Give this a shot. See what happens. Watch me. Watch me do some cool stuff. Can I tell you that, that one of the things that I'm probably, the, the thing I'm more excited about with offering fit for a king than anything else, again, we raised some money and we're going to bless some people. And I, I'm, I'm excited to hear about what we're going to do in terms of blessing some people out of that, ministries we're going to be able to do. But I get a list every week of people who gave to the church for the first time. And it's normally two or three people a week that are first-time givers. I got three pages of first-time givers this week. Three pages. Let's celebrate that, guys. Because that tells me that some of you just set yourself up for God's favor in your life. Here's what I need you to hear. When I say God's favor, I'm not just talking about meeting your financial needs. I want you to know the people that I study tell me that there are 7,000 promises in Scripture for believers now, the key words, believers. You have to believe that it's true in order for it to be true for you. But we're talking about 7,000 promises in every area of your life if you'll just believe that's true. Jesus said, according to your faith, will it be done to you? Paul wrote to the church at Philippi and said in Philippians 4.19, God will meet what? All your needs, not all your greeds. Your yearnings will always exceed your earnings. That's just reality of the human condition. God will meet all your needs according to His riches in Christ Jesus. And what does all include? Everything. All of it. Whatever you stand in need of, God says, "I will meet that need if you'll just believe." But you have to believe that it's true before it's true for you. Well, I, I think I believe. I want to believe. How, how do i know how much faith i have well i told you last sunday when we received the offering fit for a king the amount this is not about the amount it's about the attitude and attitudes always lead to actions faith is not a think word faith is a do word and so if you want to know how much faith you have look at what you're doing That's the measure of your faith, not what you say you believe or or tell somebody you believe, but what you do. So you look at your actions and you know what your faith is. The good news is when you act in faith of what the Bible says, then you release God to do what He's wanted to do all along. Remember, I told you He loves to give good gifts to His children? When you do that, you release Him to pour out blessings on you that He's been wanting to give all along. He's just waiting for you to set it up because He said, according to your faith, will it be done to you. Is this making sense? Is this registering? It is enacting in, in faith. You know, we got this kind of show and tell thing with God. Remember playing show and tell when you were a kid? Do they still do that in school? When I was a kid, you know, you'd show and tell, you'd bring something in, you'd show it to the class, and you get to tell it and, and, and tell about it. And, and, and that's how we want to do with God. We say, okay, God, if you show me that you're going to do this, then I will tell you whether or not I believe you. Well, I'm sorry, show and tell doesn't work with God. You have to do it, and then he'll show you. You take the step. In faith, and then he will show up. And when you do, you have ushered in God's favor, not just in your financial life, but in every area of your life. When I'm being generous, I'm being a little bit more like God. I'm drawn closer to him and his family. When I'm being generous, the brick of the grip of materialism is broken in my life, and my act of faith ushers in God's favor in my life. Hear me, God loves to give favor. He does not have favorites. But you have to take the step of faith for him to act. The fifth benefit, the one that I love the most out of all of the benefits of being a generous person, is when I am generous, I am filled with joy. Say it with me. I am filled with joy in my younger days of ministry i did a lot of counseling and uh uh, it wasn't uncommon in fact i would say i've never kind of tracked it statistically but anecdotally i would say that the number one thing that i heard from people in counseling sessions went something like this but pastor i just want to be happy I just, I just want to be happy. That's all. I just want to be happy. And it used to shock them to death when I would. My response would always be something like, "Yeah, happiness is overrated." When they go, what, "What are you talking about? You understand that that happiness comes from the word happenstance, which has the same root as circumstance." Happiness is based in your current circumstances going the way you want them to go. How many figure out the circumstances don't always go the way you want them to go? God bless that hand. I see that hand. Just, that's just, we, this is earth. We're not in heaven yet. This is still earth. And there's stuff that happens that we don't like. We don't understand. We don't get it. And so happiness is overrated, guys. I'll tell you now, God cares more about your holiness than he does your happiness because that's what's going into eternity with you. And so instead, he gives you joy. And joy doesn't come from circumstances. Joy is one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, faith meekness self-control it's one of the things that comes from walking in unity with the holy spirit you get joy regardless of your circumstances and that's why if you've been here very long and you've run across me in the hallway or or or, or, or at bridge two which is what i like to call the rosewood walmart uh <laughs> how you doing pastor good to see you, you know what my answer is right it's usually one of two. I usually say, I'm so blessed it's embarrassing or I'm so blessed it's scary. And that's, that's my pat answer to that. Please understand when I say that to you, I'm not being glib. I'm reminding myself that I am a blessed man regardless of what my current circumstances are. Truth of the matter is, if I can get personal, this Tuesday is the first anniversary of our oldest son's passing on to heaven. been the hardest year of my life, but I'm a blessed man. I'm so blessed it's embarrassing because there's a joy that even deep grief cannot take away because it ain't based in my circumstances. It's based in the God I serve and the grace that he extends to me particularly in those moments when I've yelled at him this year and said, God, I don't get it. I don't like it. I love you. Don't leave me. (laughs) Are you getting what I'm trying to say as personally as I know how? Joy has got nothing to do with circumstances. And when you become generous, you don't just become more like him. You don't just get drawn closer to him. You don't just get the privilege of breaking free from the grip of materialism in your life. You actually get something better than happiness. You get joy that rises up and helps you to rise above whatever circumstance life throws at you. And I believe part of that joy comes from the truth that Jesus gave us and has reminded us in Acts 2.35, more blessings come from giving than from receiving. We love to make fun of that one, don't we? You know, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Ooh, I kind of like receiving myself, right? It's kind of how we do it. But the fact of the matter is the most joyful people on the earth are givers and the most miserable people on the planet are misers, it's true, there's a joy. I talk to first-time guests around here all the time. And I said, man, this is a joyful group of people. What is the deal with them? And I said, yeah, it is a joyful group of people because they are a generous group of people. And those two things always go together. So they're generous with their time. They're generous with their giving. They're generous by opening their hearts to you. It's your first time here. And they'll welcome you into this family right now. They'll say, man, you're welcome. I'm glad you're here. And mean every word of it. That's a generosity. It's a gift that we give away all the time. It's not automatic as Christians. It's not natural we have to commit ourselves to do it, and we do so when we understand who God is, which brings us to the real focus, quite frankly, of the day. I want us to approach the Lord's table in communion. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, I like the way that Phillips paraphrases it. Says, do you remember the generosity of Jesus Christ, the Lord of us all? He was rich beyond our telling, yet he became poor for your sake, so that his poverty might make you rich. As we approach the Lord's table this morning, I'll say again, you need not be an owner at the bridge to join us. It's not our table, it's the Lord's table. He invites you to come. And so if you don't have a set of communion elements, would you raise your hand if you'd like to join us? Raise your hand, the ushers are here. They'll come, and I see some down front. Just keep your hands up until they get to you because they're coming. I want to make sure everybody has a chance to join us. It is important that you understand what we're about to do it's important that you do this with clarity of understanding. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 gives us instructions about the Lord's table. Paul wrote under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. (coughs) In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. That's why many among you are weak and sick. And even a number of you have died, he said. As you ponder those things and as you hold those elements in your hand, I want you to reflect with me for a minute before we eat the bread and drink the cup. I think there are three things we need to look at as we look at these elements. First of all, I think we need to look back. I suggest to you in these few moments that you look back at the cross. Jesus Christ is God, slain before the foundation of the world. God knew that we would sin against him and that we would need to be redeemed back. We'd need to be bought back and that the only price that was worthy of our sin is blood. The wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life. And so I want you to reflect for just a moment on that reality that the cross of Jesus Christ, having given up the glories of heaven, generously given up everything that he deserved, he gave it up. He took on the form of a man, not just a man but a servant, and not just one who serves but one who served all the way to death, and not just death, death of the worst possible kind, death by crucifixion. He did all of that to express love and generosity to us so that all of history... The entire Old Testament points to the cross, and everything since, including the New Testament to this day, points back to the cross. The cross of Jesus Christ is the center of all human history. So I want you to look back for just a moment. You see, it wasn't his sin that nailed him to the cross because he didn't have any. It was mine. Say it with me it was mine. My sin nailed him to the cross. He took my sin on himself. All of the sins of every generation across the centuries, every lie, every gossip, every rape, every murder, he took it all on himself in that moment. And all of history points back to that moment. But I don't want you to just look at that historical event as we look back. I want you to look back on the day that you gave your life to Jesus Christ. Maybe sitting here right now or watching online, you haven't done that. Maybe this is the day. This is the day that you say, Jesus, thank you for paying the price for my sin. And I haven't been that generous person that's getting closer to you and your family and breaking the back of materialism and ultimately finding the joy that only comes and the favor that only comes from committing my life to you. I'm not that person. Maybe today's your day. Don't leave here without making that decision. Don't turn your computer off without making that decision. Join us. In fact, you can tell me right now. The altars will be open in a minute, but you can tell me right now that you're committing your life to Jesus Christ by just texting the word new life to 55498. That's a 21st century way of obeying Romans chapter 10 where it says believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and you will be saved. So look back with me for a moment on the cross as the center of all history, but perhaps more personally on the day the cross became the center of your life before I came to Jesus and since I came to Jesus look back at that day in gratitude the second thing the passage tells us is that we're supposed to look forward we're to do this until he comes and so there's a forward looking to that day that Jesus splits the eastern sky guys he came the first time as a sacrifice as a lamb slain before the foundation of the world but he's coming back as a lion not as a lamb He's coming back as a conquering king. He's coming back to establish his kingdom. And all things will be brought under the headship of Jesus Christ. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we're looking forward to that day. It might be this day. I don't know of anything that has to happen for Jesus to come back short of the Father saying, okay, son, it's time. I don't know of anything. So as we look back... Let's also look forward, preparing our hearts, fixing our eyes on what is unseen, not what is seen. And then ultimately, the passage tells us to look within. The Bible says it, that if we drink this unworthily, then we drink judgment on ourselves. And I'll be honest with you, I've heard some preachers teach that passage in a way that's become one of my pet peeves because the, the reality is ain't none of us worthy of what Jesus did on Calvary for us. Can I get an amen in the room? I don't think that's what that passage means at all. I don't believe it means for a moment that only perfect people should take communion because we're all in trouble if that's the case. I think what it means simply is that if we do it flippantly, if we do it by rote, if we do it because it's just something to do because we're hungry or we're thirsty, that's what they were doing in the first century, they turned turn it into a feast to consume themselves. If we just kind of flippantly say, yeah, it's Communion Sunday, without stopping to say, God, am I living my life in a way that dishonors what you did for me? Am I sometimes kinder to strangers than I am the people I love the most? Am I sometimes selfish about the way I commit my time and my talents? Am I sometimes self-centered in the way I approach my relationship with you and others? If so, I'm sorry. This is a chance for us just to stop and do a checkup like David in Psalm 139. Turn your searchlight on me and show me. There's some wicked way in me and lead me to the way everlasting and it's a chance for us to confess that before the Lord and repent and say, God, I'm sorry. The Bible says if we'll confess, he'll forgive. It's a chance for us to look back. It's a chance for us to look forward. It's a chance for us to look in. So I want us to bow in prayer for just a moment before we receive these elements together and let's do those three things, would you? Father, thank you for Calvary. Thank you for giving up the glories of heaven. You didn't have to. Thank you for humbling yourself. And out of that humility became a servant for us. And thank you for what it means to us. Thank you for the truth we look forward to that one day you're going to return, and it could be this day. We want to be ready. And we want to bring as many people with us as we can to share eternity together with you. And thank you, Lord, that you give us opportunities like this to pause, reflect on how we're living our lives. And if there's any way that we're dishonoring you or your, or your name, the family name, we have a chance to confess it and get a fresh start. So forgive me, Lord. For those areas that don't honor you, give me a fresh start today in Jesus' name. Jesus gathered his disciples shortly before going to Calvary. The Bible says he took bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body which is broken for you. Would you take that wafer, would you hold it in your hands, would you look at it? Remind yourself that it is a symbol of the body of Christ that was broken because of your and my sinfulness. And then as we receive it together, would you simply say, thank you, Jesus. And the Bible said he took the cup also saying, this is the New Testament in my blood, and every time you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. Those were strange words to the disciples because they were at a meal called the Seder that the Jewish disciples had been doing for centuries, ever since they were set free from Egypt in what we call the Exodus. And those elements had special significance to every one of them. But now Jesus is saying, there's a whole new contract. There's a whole new relationship because of what I'm going to do tonight. You won't have a relationship with me based on keeping the law because we know that's impossible. Now you're going to have a relationship because of my grace that's coming to you. And not just the grace of God that comes to you, but the power of God that comes to you. But The Bible says, by his stripes we are Healed. Ephesians 1 says the same power that God used to raise Jesus Christ from the dead is available to us. My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. And so as you take that cup, as you smell its aromas, you reflect on its flavors, remember the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. Let's drink together. you stand with me as we pray. There's all, the altars are open. There's prayer teams here that would like nothing better than to pray with you this morning before you leave. Take advantage of that opportunity, whatever your need happens to be. Take advantage of that chance. But for now, pray with me. Father, thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that I can have a relationship with you based on what Jesus did in coming in sacrificing his life, in conquering death, hell, and the grave. And I can look forward to the day that he will return. I pray simply, Lord, that our lives would reflect the gratitude that we have for all you've done for us. And I thank you in Jesus' name for the way you're going to use us to share that gratitude through our generosity, time, talents, and treasures. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said together, amen. God bless you guys. Thanks for coming. Kicking off a whole new series next week. We're just simply calling Grateful. And for the weeks leading up to Thanksgiving, we're going to be talking about things we're grateful for. I hope to see you next Sunday. Don't leave. If you need somebody to pray with you, come to the altars this morning.